Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of the reverence for Christ. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your words, and we trust you because we know of your faithfulness to us. And we ask, Lord, that you feed us with your word today, that if there is anything that is of of me, I pray that you destroy it and that uh, it blows away. But if there is things from you coming from your word, I pray that it remains in our hearts and it transforms our lives. Not so that we can earn anything, but that we can reflect what you have already done. We love you. All these things we lift up in your name. Amen. You may be seated. This weekend was uh, special for me. Uh, uh, the, there's Josh and I, uh, along with our wives, and uh, as well as uh, Carrie and Renette Olson, who uh, he's been walking for the whole year in our eldership process. We went to uh, uh, just an annual just getaway for the night to spend time in, in prayer uh, and planning and fellowship and just seeking the Lord on what he may have for us in the year 2019 and, and also what he has been doing. And it was just a time of rest. And it was great to just get away and get away. Um, I think one of the most beneficial things about it for me was the fact that we just slowed down. How many of us can relate to the concept of we're just so busy? We're just busy all the time. In our culture, busyness is not just something that is a standard operating procedure for probably most of us in this room. But it's even celebrated in our community. Oh, I'm just so busy. Maybe we can get together next month. Oh, I'm so busy. I'm so sorry I'm late. I'm just so busy. So many things are going on. But we, we say it like we're sad, but we're actually, it's a sense of pride that we have busied ourselves. We don't slow down. We wear business like, it, uh, like wear our business like it's a, a, a busyness, like it's a robe of honor, as if all the things that I'm doing are so very important. We say, I'm needed, I'm wanted, I'm significant because I'm busy. But I found that when you are constantly running in the things of this world, it is really difficult to walk out the things that matter. When you're running around in the things of the world, and that points back to what, what Pastor Josh amazingly handled last week um, about partaking in the things of darkness. When we're running around in the things that don't matter, it's really hard to walk in the things that the Lord has laid before us. And I use that word intentionally, walk, because he says it three times in this chapter. Walk. This is how you should walk. 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 It's increasingly evidence to me of an appropriate level of pace demonstrated in the life of Jesus. Jesus himself. He was never in a rush. Do you see him ever in a rush? 
In Mark 5, there's a little girl dying, but Jesus didn't rush to heal her. In fact, he stopped and, uh, and healed somebody else on the way, but she was about ready to die. And then she ends up dying. And then Jesus comes and <laughs> raises her to life. And one of his best friends, Lazarus, he was told by his other friends, Mary and Martha, come, heal our brother. And then when he gets there, days later, they say, if only you got gotten here sooner. But Jesus didn't rush. He walked in the Spirit of the Lord. He walked. In, a, in, in, that, in that fashion, uh, I think what's, what's great is in his walking, he obeyed Scripture by healing as he went, as he was walking. Death had no hold on, on us because death has no hold on Christ. And Christ raised Lazarus from the dead. It was just amazing. Jesus demonstrated a perfect life of slow, intentional living, slow, intentional walking. And that's what that term means. To, to walk it means to, to live, to, as you live, as you walk. So likewise, we find in Ephesians that we too are commanded to walk, not, not run. We're called to, to walk in, in this particular instance. Chapter 5, 1 through 21 describes how a believer and a church are to walk. The Greek term suggests this active walking, not a past tense, but but active. And the term comes straight from the imperative command in chapter 4, verse 1, where Christians are called to walk worthy of the calling in which you've been called. And then it spent really the last chapter and a half working that out for us. Specifically, Paul uses the term walking, as I said, three times here in this chapter chapter, uh, in, in verse uh, 2, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. And then last week, uh, uh, Pastor Josh talked about uh, verse, looking in verse 9 or 8. There, or well, Let's go to 7. Therefore do not become partakers with them, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. So walk in love. Walk in light. And today, we see we're called to walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. We're also called to walk in the Spirit. And we must remember, before we really dig in, that this is both personal and corporate. So if you're coming and you're new, that's great, uh, because uh, this is for you. Uh, this is how we, as followers of Jesus Christ, are to walk. But also for us at Redeemer 38, this is how we are to walk. This whole thing has been both uh, uh, personal but corporate. He's talking to the church. Expose light. Don't participate in the darkness as a church. He's he's walking in love. And so uh, questions that I would have you ask yourself as we are walking through this together today is when people look at me, could it be said that I walk in love? that I live in love, that I live in light, that I live in wisdom? And the second question is, could it be said about our church that we walk in love, that we walk in light, that we walk in wisdom? Now the structure of this whole passage is is really strange. Um, And if you'd like some help on that, on the back there's just some extra added notes on on the structure. It's kind of difficult and a lot of people have different opinions about it, but... uh, But frankly, failure to understand the structure of this transitional hymns passage has caused radical misappropriation of texts. And we'll talk about that. 
a misappropriation of text. So, so to help you in the structure passage, those further notes, it talks about three contrasts that are in here, and it's, it's beautiful. Not this, but. Not but. Uh, and then it moves into five participles that flowing out of the discussion about the filling of the Holy Spirit. And these are all linked, uh, but it just seems really disjointed. But all that said, the structure of the passage continues us in the conversation of walking. Walking in the Spirit. Walking in wisdom. Um, so we see at the end of uh, 15, the major theme of our section. So in your notes, it, it says that we must be wise. Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Now that's the, the overarching theme. It's the third section that he's talking about. Walk in love, walk in light. Now walk wisely. Walk in, look carefully not how you walk, but uh, not as unwise, but as wise. Under the, the wise command, I believe that there are four results for living under that. The first is more of a support of wisdom uh, and, and a preference to the others, uh, a preface to the others, but I believe that it is important enough to mention. So that first one that I want to mention is that we are called to walk carefully. A wise person walks carefully. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but wise. I think it's important to mention, look carefully. Watch carefully. Uh, translation could be, be very careful how you live. Look carefully then how you walk. The word carefully carries this connotation of accuracy, precision, close attention. The call to be wise begins with careful and thoughtful attention in our life. And this is so important because, again, it points back to what Josh was just talking about. Do not become partakers with them. For one time you were darkness, but now you are, 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 are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Be careful how we walk. No sexual, and he also goes on, no sexual immorality, coarse joking, filthiness, or foolish talking. Uh, because of this, we must walk carefully. Watch how we walk. A careful walk is a wise walk. Has anyone, uh, this, well, this reminds me of, of where I'm from in Washington State. Um, and there's lots of rocks and mountains and trees and, uh, you know, things to climb. Uh, and uh, I spent a lot of time hiking. Has anybody done a lot of, like, rock climbing, uh, cliff climbing, stuff like that? I know, Michael has. Uh, anybody else in here? Yeah, it's, 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 it's awesome. But it rem this, this imagery reminds me of that. Walk carefully. Look how you walk. Look where you're walking. If you've hiked at all, you have to be very careful where you put your feet. If you're climbing a cliff, you can't just automatically trust that this rock or this cliff will hold your body weight. Because if you do it quickly, it will shift and you will fall and it won't be good. So it reminds me of that though. When he's saying walk carefully as you walk in life, be careful where you step, how you step, and how you walk. See that no one takes you captive. Colossians 2, 8 says, see that no one takes you captive uh, by philosophy and empty deceit according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. And he's saying be careful how you walk because every day, and we'll say this in a second, every day is evil. There's like a, a, a buffet of, of debauchery laid out before us every day. We wake up, and we're gonna, this points to what we're going to be talking about at the end of this book, spiritual warfare. We wake up, we cannot be blind when we wake up every day. The enemy is after us. 
And, and, and our call is to walk, not just walk in light and be a Christian and go to church. We're called to expose light. Be careful how we walk. Be careful. A careful walk is a wise walk. Um, we must be aware of our footing because even in the small incremental steps away from our calling in Christ, it can give the enemy a foothold into our heart, thereby getting carried away by our own passions, like it says in chapter 2. So a careful walk is a wise walk. So that's kind of a preface for the other ones, but I think it's really important. A careful walk is a wise walk. But let's, let's move on. Um, uh, verse 16, Make, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So the second thing of wisdom, uh, point of wisdom, is to redeem the time. Paul doesn't stop with just being careful, but we're called to redeem the time. Make the best use of the time because the days are evil. That term, making best use, is actually the term redeem. To buy back, to purchase your time back. We're called to redeem the time because the days are evil. As though we have lost the time, we need to purchase it back. Something that we need to buy back. Redeem that time. Utilize every hour in a productive way. We're called to be intentional in how we live every day. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that we're called to busy ourselves. It doesn't say that uh, we must be more productive and we must accomplish more. That's not what I'm saying. We don't take this be intentional calling, this, uh, this calling to, to, to redeem the time uh, as an as, as, as a opportunity to fill our calendar. That's not what he's saying. It's we're buying it back because understanding that we're in a spiritual battle. Buy it back. The days are evil. This speaks specifically to intentional living in the dark days. And this is an area where I need your help. I, as a pastor, I need your prayers because I believe this links to what we said at the beginning. Um, that you, you've heard the old saying, if the devil can't get you bad, he'll get you busy. And that's something that I struggle with just throwing things that are good onto our calendars. Oh, they're good, right? They're good, right? But, but I get so busy and I get so fast, I'm not watching how I walk in my everyday life. I'm not watching how I walk in the Spirit. I just get so busy with good things that I do have the tendency to not look, and I slip. This is not, now, uh, a wise person makes best use of the time. Uh, and Jesus, he did, he did this so great. Um, when there's hundreds of people, thousands of people that came to him and he could heal them and, and go put on seminars, teaching them and baptizing them. Uh, he could have done all this stuff, but what, what he did often is he redeemed his time and he spent time with his father. Often he would pull back and retreat and pray and spend time with the Lord a lot, all by himself, often. And now this isn't a call to abandon your activities or your hobbies, is it? I'm not asking you to, like, you know, all right, put away fishing. <laughs> put away fishing. I'm not saying that, but it is a call to redeem them. And I literally mean every single hobby that you have, you can redeem it for the sake of the gospel. You, hobbies. Find a way that you can redeem the time that you spend in your hobbies. and That, that will glorify the Lord in them. Where you enjoy them, but but maybe even use it as an opportunity to share the gospel. Now, I, 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 I grew up, it doesn't look like it, but I grew up playing basketball, and I traveled all over, that does not look like it. But it's like, huh, huh. Uh, and traveled all over the country playing basketball, and uh, 
and I, I just loved it so much. I put so much time and energy into it. But when the Lord took hold of me, and I genuinely believe when the Holy Spirit, uh, when I came to Christ, came into my life, my, my priorities changed. It didn't decrease my love for basketball. I still played often. But I chose to use that as an instrument, a tool to share the gospel. And I've been, I've been preaching since I was 16. Uh, and I, I've, by God's grace, seen many come to the Lord. It's been a blessing. But I'll tell you, he has used basketball, a hobby, to share the gospel with more people than almost any other medium in my life. Just a, a hobby, something that I liked, and yet I can share, redeem it. We're called to redeem them and let the gospel flow through you through those. Unless it's a hobby that is not glorifying the God, then bump it. Kick it to the curb. So I want to again reiterate that the days are evil. Because if we get caught sleeping, we will slip. So um, how are we spending our time? How are you spending your time? If we don't redeem and repurpose our time for the Lord, then we're not walking wise. We're actually walking unwise on unstable footing. So church, let's be intentional. Let's be a church that is intentional. Let us be individuals that are intentional, but let us be a church that is intentional. When we come to church and the gospel isn't proclaimed, then we're not being intentional with the gospel. We need to talk about the gospel. If you have not heard the gospel, I want you to hear the gospel. Be intentional in our habits. Brothers and sisters, be intentional on who you listen to and what your spiritual diet is. You can have a bad spiritual diet of people who are in ministry. Do you know that? Who do you listen to and what do you gaze upon? Be intentional. Choose the appropriate things that will gear you up for battle. Intentionally, uh, live intentionally. Redeem the time in our conversation. I, I've learned this from a few of you. But particularly, this is going to embarrass them, but particularly Ben and Jonna Kemper. Um, I, I personally don't like small talk, but they like despise small talk. They're just like, uh, so tell me about your marriage. Like, oh, we're getting chicken nuggets. What are you talking about? Like, they just like dive in. But, um, and I love them. And it, I don't, Ben's in here somewhere. Uh, but it's, it's awkward, but it's beautiful. We're redeeming time together. It's not saying you can't talk about the weather or you can't talk about chicken nuggets, but I'm saying redeem that time. What are we actually investing our time in in our conversation? Be intentional about our conversation. Intentionally plan. Intentionally plan time to share the gospel. Put it in your calendar if you have to. We have to redeem our time. If we let life happen to us, then evil will happen. The days are evil. We have to wake up on purpose, intentional, saying, I am going to let and allow and I ask the Holy Spirit to move through me so that the gospel can be proclaimed. Go on a mission trip. Find a way to share the gospel. And I, I really do mean go on a mission trip. We are living in an affluent area, so it's really easy to stroke a check. But God's not calling everybody to do that. What, what I'm saying, what I'm saying is be intentional and write down, let me go on a mission trip and see what it's like to, to get out of my comfort zone so I trust solely on Christ and that I learn not just how to share the gospel, but I learn what the gospel is in, in motion. Being intentional, redeem your time. Put it on your calendar. Tie to your time. We have to be intentional. I'm, I'm going to pound that dead horse. 
We have to. You don't just, uh, this is with children, you don't just accidentally teach them the alphabet. It's just like, oh, yeah. Oh, how did he know the alphabet? You intentionally plan time to sit down and walk through the alphabet with your kids, the multiplication table. You have to schedule this. You have to schedule time for deep talk. You have to schedule time for gospel proclamation. Living not just in ethical purity, being careful how you walk, but aggressively sharing and demonstrating the gospel. That's wisdom. Wisdom isn't just waiting for things to happen. It's actually, wisdom is aggressively taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's spiritual wisdom. And the third uh, point that I see in here is a really monumental point. And I talked to Kimber about it. He's here somewhere um, this week. And it is vital for this whole passage. Um, Therefore, verse 17, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And the th- so that third uh, area of wisdom is discerning God's will. Discerning God's will. Part of what it means to live wise is to discern the will of God in every single circumstance. So careful how you walk. Be intentional on walking. But discern God's will for you. Did you ever ask yourself that question? What's God's will for my life? Okay, Alex did. <laughs> we- Yes, I did. I have done many times. Um, But truth be told, I can tell you today what God's will is for you. We get caught up often in looking at the the, the forest and saying, what's this big rock will that God has in my life? Am I supposed to, you know, be a martyr over here? But but, but God has clearly laid out what his will is for you. Um, Like Micah uh, Micah 6.8, do justice, walk walk humbly. Uh, Act justly, walk humbly. Um, what else? Uh, the will of the Lord is that we walk in love, that we walk in light, that we walk in wisdom. We can always think about the really big things and like, well, where, what's God's will for my college? Or what's God's will for my career? When his will is that you wake up and act intentionally, that you discern what his will is for you that day and take that step and take that step and take that step. Let's not be foolish. Foolish, foolish people think way out here. We are following our shepherd. Next step, next step, next step. In Israel, that's one of the most beautiful pictures is, is, is shepherding. So in Israel, uh, a shepherd doesn't just come around and corral sheep. Um, the Bedouins in the, in the wilderness out there, they don't just walk around and corral sheep. That's what a sheepdog does. <laughs> A shepherd walks in front. And they, they trust this shepherd so much because he knows where the food is. Because in Israel, in the, in the Near East, uh, they, they actually take the sheep into areas that aren't filled with luscious green fields. He leads them. Uh, it's all rocky and, and weird, but then there's tufts of grass here and tufts of grass there. And they just follow their shepherd closely because if they don't, they wander to a side where there is no grass, and then they die. Foolish living wanders and follows your own path, but, but wise living follows the Lord, discerns what his will is, and his will is good for you. The term foolish appears in Proverbs uh, in contrast to the one who walks in the way of the Lord and follows the path of wisdom. 
Proverbs 23.9, a fool finds pleasure in evil conduct, but a man of understanding delights in wisdom. So rather than act foolishly, we're called to discern the will of the Lord. And this takes work. This takes work. We must reason in all areas of life. Is this what God would have me do with blank? It takes work. It takes a constant renewing of your mind. Emptying your decisions of your will and renewing your mind with the, the, the things of the Lord. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then what? Then you'll be able to test and approve what the Lord's will is. His good, His pleasing, His perfect will. That's how we find out what the will of the Lord is. Empty your mind of your will. So when you approach a decision, when you approach a decision to buy a house, if you approach a decision to buy a car, or heaven forbid, a cat, or something like that, empty yourself of your wisdom. That was a bad example. Empty yourself of your will and fill yourself with the Lord's will. Is this what we need? And this is a message that's really important for us here, again, in Santa Rosa Beach, an area of affluence, where excess is, is, is accepted. Because it's our will. It's what we, uh, we, we, we match it up with other people around, but, but does, is this really the will of the Lord? Is this what the Lord would have of us? Don't conform. Be transformed by the knowing of your mind. Do we make financial decisions based off of what others are doing or what we would personally like? Not if it's a wise thing according to God's standard. And I'm, t- I'm telling you, that was the, oh did I hit it oh that's what's happening is that better good <laughs> thank you okay um yeah we make fi- do we make financial decisions based off of what others are doing or what we would like not according to what is wise in God's standards and I'm and, I, and I'm telling us this as a, as individuals. I want us to ask ourselves that question and not look down the row about that question right now. I want us to ask ourselves that question. Does that make sense? I'm not asking us to look back and be like, I know so-and-so. We're not doing that. Let's talk about ourselves, what the Lord is doing in us right now. Is our decisions, our financial decisions, are they based off of the discerning God's will for our life? And secondly, like I said, both individual and corporate, are we as a church making wise decisions? Are we following the will of the Lord? Or are we following our own will and our own desires? A wise person discerns God's will on every level. And the fourth, which again is not necessarily a fourth area of, of wisdom, which is a hinge into the next main section that reads into the rest of the whole book, which I really am excited about. I, j- I hope I'm setting this up for them well. Um, but uh, is... A, a wise person is filled. A wise person is filled with the Spirit. And do not get drunk uh, with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. But be filled. Um, according to Paul, in this section of Scripture, wise walking is not just being careful or being intentional or being discerning, but it also calls for a filling of the Holy Spirit. That is wise living. Spirit-filled. And this is a very interesting transitional verse because it is both a point under wisdom, but again, like I said, it opens up the whole next category of Holy Spirit living. Don't get drunk on wine, which 
uh, leads to debauchery or dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the third, on the back of your notes, this is the third major contrast that we see. Don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is a huge one, monumental for this whole book. The reason Paul uses drunkenness here is not really clear. There are many suggestions from various scholars that I've read and I've studied, and um, some suggest that there was a, a particular problem among the Christians there in Ephesus or in Asia Minor, just like there was in Corinthians, like it says in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 21. Some suggest also it was a warning, a warning about pagan cults of drunkenness as a means for unity with the spirit world. Um, and that was a big deal, and I, I definitely know that that was the case in Ephesus with the uh, Temple of Artemis or, or Diana, where they would, uh, a practice is to lose your mind in order to uh, gain access to the realm of the spirit. And we see that throughout history with peyote and, uh, and Native Americans or opium and uh, Asians or, or <laughs> right now with every kind of drug that you can think of. Um, we think that we've achieved something or, or gained something. Um, but also s others would suggest that it was just simply a general warning of the dangerousness of, of alcoholism or drunkenness. There's a lot of suggestions, and I think all those have valid points, but frankly put, I believe that all of them <laughs> are possible and probable. But that said, what is clear is this juxtaposition of from being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit. That is clear. He's saying this is the exact opposite of this. This is the opposite. Drunkenness does something. It controls you. It influences you. It takes you out of yourself and it lowers your decision making. Right? I, 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 I'm, I'm not positive, but it seems to me that the most of the people that I have observed while they're drunk aren't the best decision makers. Aren't the wisest. And I'm not playing, like, I'm not trying to be light in, on this. I, I'm, I'm very serious about it because, um, both my grandfathers died from alcohol-related uh, abuse. My father was an alcoholic. So it, it's, it hits close to home for me. But decision-making isn't really high up. Wisdom in our decision-making isn't really high up in there. Paul juxtaposes the state of drunkenness with the condition of being filled and influenced by God's Spirit, not by anything else. Their filter of discerning God's will is dis extinguished when we are out of our mind and drunk. God's voice is distant and becomes faint. Scripture speaks at length about this, and, uh, about uh, drunkenness and the danger of sin of drunkenness. And being drunk is a sin. I will say that very clearly. Being drunk is a sin. Proverbs 23, who has woe, who has, who has strife, who has complaints, who has needless bruises, who has bloodshot eyes, those who linger over wine who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, we say, but you're not hurt. They beat me, you'll feel it. When I wake up, when will I wake up so I can find myself another drink? Being filled with drunkenness reduces your life in all the areas of wisdom that we mentioned. You become less careful how you walk.
talk. You become less intentional on how you spend your, your time. You become less discerning of God's will. It is a waste, and that is what the word debauchery, it means waste. It's a waste of time. But the contrast is clear. This is so exciting. Be filled instead with the Spirit. Being filled is, uh, with the Spirit isn't a suggestion. Here it's a command. He's saying, be filled with the Spirit. And the term is also passive. And this is a very important, the, the, the term is passive. Meaning, to be filled with the Spirit is something that you, find, that you don't find yourself and fill yourself. It's a, ter- it's a passive meaning that means that the Spirit fills you. So it's not, this is huge for me. Growing up, I always felt like there was something I was missing out because I'm watching the actions of other people. Like, it's just, I'm, not, I'm missing out on the, the Holy Spirit, right? Because I don't have these external demonstrations of the Holy Spirit, of the filling of the Holy Spirit. So I'm missing out on something, right? This is a passive term. It means that the Spirit fills you. He fills you. So instead of it being uh, something that you possess, instead the Spirit possesses you when you yield to the Spirit. Ephesians 4, uh, 3, 14. Let's, let's go back to Ephesians, uh, uh, sorry, Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know, this is important, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Spirit-filled means to be dominated by the truth revealed concerning Christ. That's what it means. Spirit-filled means to be dominated by the truth revealed concerning Christ. The Holy Spirit's work in a believer is in direct response to that believer's belief in and exposure to Christ himself. Does that make sense? Being moved along in the process of sanctification by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what being filled by the Holy Spirit is. It doesn't, it's not an event. It's not a momentary anointing. That's, that, that, that's what happened in the Old Testament. It came down and left. The Spirit came down and left, came down and left. No, nowhere in the, in, the, in the Scriptures does it say that you are called to be drunk in the Spirit. Nowhere. Nowhere does it say you're called to be drunk in the Spirit and acting bizarre. And some of you know what I'm talking about, and other people are like, what do you mean drunk in the Spirit? Well, don't look it up. Now, <laughs> it doesn't mean that we're falling down and acting bizarre and babbling external phenomenons. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that. And never, there was also never a command in Scripture that we are to be indwelt by the Spirit because it is a fact of every believer. So to be filled with the Spirit is yielding to the Spirit's direction in your life and move down the road of sanctification. That's why the Holy Spirit has been called things like the Counselor and the Comforter, not the Experience. The Holy Spirit is the counselor and comfort as you walk down this road of sanctification. If you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit with you. There are maybe areas in our life where we need to yield to the Spirit, 
but that doesn't mean you are, uh, there's something that you possess less. He is, he is with you. He is in you. It's huge. So be filled with the Spirit. Yield to the Spirit. And he walks with us and counsels with us and comforts us and guides us. So don't be filled with drink, but be filled with the Spirit. A wise Christian is a Spirit-filled Christian. And then, this sets Paul onto a crazy, amazing tangent on Spirit-filled. So that means it leads us to this next section that I'm just going to briefly hit on, and, uh, and then uh, Josh is going to take it away next week. But we must be Spirit-filled. Um, and this, this moves into, so as I said earlier, this is not an exhaustive list um, of, a, of a spirit-filled life, but, but Paul takes this concept and finishes the book under this section of a spirit-filled life, spirit, in warfare, in family, in all that. The effects of being spirit-filled, we can just walk down, okay, looking in verse 5, uh, in chapter 5, we, you just walk down, um, be filled with the Spirit. It said in verse 19, uh, be an effect of spirit-filled is, is singing songs. Verse 20, it, an effect of, of spirit-filled life is, is giving thanks in everything. An effect of a spirit-filled life is being subject and submissive to one another. A spirit-filled wife, in verse 22, submits to her husband. A spirit-filled husband loves their wives. Spirit-filled children obey their parents. Spirit-filled fathers don't provoke their children to anger, verse 4 of 6. And, and spirit-filled slaves are obedient. Spirit-filled masters care properly for their slaves, verse 9 of chapter 6. He just goes down this list, but there's three that he hits on here for us that we're going to highlight. Number one is worshipful. A spirit-filled life, an effect is that we are worship-filled, filled with worship. Did you know, and I, I had to look this up. That Christianity is the only major world religion that has worship through music as its central core. It's a part of who it is, an identifying mark of them. It's the only world religion that, now there are some that have broken off and done chants and things like that, but melody, making melody with our heart, as it says here, that's, that's a Christian thing. Did you know that? That's beautiful. We worship. We sing. We sing all the time. We sing at church. We sing at weddings. We sing at funerals. We sing all the time. We sing on mission trips. We sing all the time. I think that that's what Christians do because in, in times of joyful celebration or deep sorrow, we sing and we call people to remember our great God. That's why in the Old Testament, in the book of uh, Joshua, uh, the, the musicians and the singers would go before the army to lead w the way with worship. We worship. We worship him. A spirit-filled person is a worshipful person. You show me a worshipful person, I'll show you a spirit-filled person. Worship. We sing. Uh, one of the letters, this is also really cool, one of the letters, uh, there's a, one of the first letters uh, that we have, manuscripts that we have, is in 112 A.D. by planning to um, a Roman emperor. And it describes Christians as the group that is always singing. <laughs> That's so cool. Or if you're kind of nerdy like me, uh, if you've read the Lord of the Rings series, um, 
because it's not in the movies, because if it was, it would be a musical. Did you know that? Yeah, they sing. Little Frotto de Baggins. He sings. They sing all the time. It, it's an identifying mark of their fellowship, of the fellowship of the Lord of the Rings. There's so many cool symbolisms in that. So go read that, because you won't see Elijah Wood singing worship songs. Um, so worshipful, a spirit-filled life is a worship-filled life. A spirit-filled church is a worshiping church. A worshiping church. And I need to talk, I, I want to break for a second and say, do you have problems with songs like, uh, uh, or like styles or hymns or, or contemporary or I don't know this or I don't know that? Uh, we worship tr- through truth. So if what is being read and what is being sung is truth, uh, it doesn't matter. He said lift up a joyful noise, not an in-tune noise. We sing, and we sing the truths about God. We are a worshipful people because we are a spirit-filled people. And secondly, we're thankful. He goes on. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Oh, that's so beautiful. I I don't have time. It's not just outwardly. We make melody to him in our hearts. I don't have time. Um, verse 20, giving thanks always in everything, in everything, for everything, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are a thankful people. Do we give thanks to God in everything, in good things and in hard things? So, uh, yes, uh, Friday night we had a prayer time. Uh, Pastor Josh led us in uh, prayer time at our, our, our elder retreat. And we, we talked a little bit about about what God's doing in us and our families. And, and for us, a lot of you know what's going on with Haley and, and myself. Um, but that's something that I've been praying. I need to see the goodness of God in the midst of our hard struggle because um, we're going through a really hard time right now. And I want to see the goodness and the graces and the blessings. And I want to be able to give thanks. Thank you, God, so much for what you're putting us through. Thank you. Because a spirit-filled person is a thankful person. And it's really hard to say thanks. But I'm thankful for what he's doing through it. What he's doing in my life and what he's doing in my parenting and what he's doing in my relationship with my wife. I am thankful. But more importantly, what he's doing in my relationship with him. I can relate to him in a way that I've never related before. I'm thankful that I can see that as he sent his son and knew full well his son was going to die. I can relate to that though my son would never save the world of sins. But I want to be thankful in the good, and I want to be thankful in the heart. Worship-filled people are, are a spirit-filled people. A thankful people are a spirit, spirit-filled people. And thirdly, and this is a verse that a lot of people leave off on this, and they attach it to the first one, and I'll explain why. But uh, giving thanks always in uh, everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, by su- submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submissiveness. A spirit-filled church is a submissive church to the Lord. A spirit-filled husband is a submissive husband to the Lord. A spirit-filled wife is a submissive wife unto her husband and unto the Lord submissiveness. And this is why this, uh, a lot of people point this to the next. We're going to get into next week, we're starting the household code. It's a huge, awesome thing. Please come back. Josh is going to kick us off on, on the wives section. 
it just seriously falls that way. It's not like I'm picking. <laughs> like what he did last week, and then like I'm not picking, but it just falls that way. Bless you, Josh, as you go. But he's, uh, he's going to go with the, the wives next week. But verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I want you to look at verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Now that word submit is actually not there. It's borrowed from the verse 21 in Greek. So it's actually pointing back to that word submissive. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ and it's saying wives and to your husbands. And it, it continues. So that's why a lot of people attach that to the household code. But I, I think it's all a demonstration of spirit filling, that we are submissive. It doesn't mean that we lay down and, and get walked on by the evil of the world. But it doesn't mean that we're submissive to the Lord's will on our life. Do you hold your hand like this? And here's, I don't want to hurt people's feelings. But I, I despise a term called forever home. And I'm not, not pointing at, at anybody, but I, I don't like that term. And the reason is, I have a forever home. And I am willing to do anything, go anywhere, under any circumstance to bring joy to God. We understand what is meant. I understand what you mean, but I'm not trying to throw stones at all. But what I'm trying to say is, do you hold everything like this? If he said, go, will you go? If he said, move, will you move? Does that make sense? Oh, I'm, I'm really not trying to throw stones. I'm saying, I, I, I understand what people are trying to say, but it's all like this. The only thing that matters is submitting to the will of the Lord. That's the only thing that matters. Submissiveness. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 19 through 20. Why do we submit? Because 1 Corinthians 6, you were bought. You were not your own, but you are the temple of the Lord. We submit because if you are in Christ and the Holy, the Holy Spirit is within you, the same Holy Spirit that empowered uh, David over Goliath, the same Holy Spirit that empowered Samson over the Philistines, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is, exists within you. You were bought with a price and you are not your own. You are the temple of the Lord. We submit. So uh, a spirit-filled person is a worshipful person. It's a thankful person and it's a submissive person to the will of the Lord. And that sets us up for the rest of the entire book. All the way through the, 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 the spiritual warfare. Spirit-filled people are ready people. Ready for battle. I can't wait to get to that too. But so a Holy Spirit filling demonstrated through wise living. And it kind of is circular. Holy Spirit living is demonstrated through wise living. We live wise, and part of being wise is being filled, but what enables us to be wise is to be filled. Does that make sense? So we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to lay down and submit to what he has for us. We need to discern what his, his will is on every area of our life, as a church and as individuals, as couples, as parents, as singles. We need to submit to the Lord and live wisely. And again, like I said, I'm excited about talking about how spirit filling impacts husbands, wives, parents. I'm excited about that. But uh, let's pray. Well, Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that 
Uh, I just get excited about reading your word, and I want to know more. And there's so many things uh, that that can be s- discussed more about this passage. But I thank you. I thank you for feeding us. And I pray that you guard that deposit and you bring fruit out of it in our own personal lives, everyone in this, in this, in this uh, building, and also that you birth fruit out of us as a church, that we want to be a spirit-filled church, a wise church, a church that submits to you, and we discern your will, that we, we, we are intentional with our time, but that we're worshipful. And we're thankful. I thank you for so many people in this room who have encouraged me in this. As we come to the table, Lord, I pray that we remember that we only have the Holy Spirit because, Lord Jesus, you died and you rose again and you ascended and you needed to ascend in order to send your spirit. We're so thankful for that. And they will remember your sacrifice in your name. Amen.